Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. My question this morning um, is this. If Jesus is coming, and we know he is coming, are you ready? Jesus is coming. Are you ready? The church through history has always known Jesus is coming again. They've been living on tiptoes. They've had this expectation. But is the church really ready for his return? That's the question. A number of years ago, a number of decades ago, when I was coming into ministry, I went and visited this old man. He was born in the tail end of the Welsh Revival. His wife was born in the Welsh Revival. And he pastored for many years. Sadly, he was imprisoned for his faith here in New Zealand. He became what was known as a conscientious objector. Um, but he was sold out for the Lord. He'd started many churches. He'd pastored many churches. He became the superintendent of a large denomination. And I went to see him um, two days before he died. I didn't know he was going to die. He didn't know he was going to die at all. And I said to him, Ivor, if you were going to give any advice to any young person coming into ministry, what would it be? And he was quicker than Wyatt Earp at the OK Corral. He came out and said, three things. And I'm thinking, whoa. Um, and he said, the first thing, Phil, is this. He said, sadly, the church does not preach the whole gospel anymore. They water things down. They just select the nice things. They don't really um, want to offend people, so they don't preach the whole Bible anymore. So first thing he said, Phil, we've got to preach the whole gospel and nothing but the gospel. He said the second thing we need to do is preach Jesus coming again. He said what has happened in the church up until now, we've had people talking about Jesus' return, but the church is getting a little bit uh, scared that they might say the wrong thing so they don't say anything at all. There's been wonky teaching and all sorts of weird stuff that's come to the fore, so pastors seem to back off from this whole aspect of Jesus coming again. He said, Phil, we've got to preach Jesus coming again. And he said the third thing, and he, he just straight away, and he said, as a pastor, what I'd do on Sunday morning, as people go, I'd stand on the back of the church and I'd meet people as they left to go home. Because he said, we've got great people that can look after altar calls, but as a pastor, I need to connect with people with real problems. And the ones that have real problems don't come to the altar call, they tend to slip towards the back of the service and they get out of the church real quick as the, as the service ends. And he said, as a pastor, I've learned to stand on the door and connect with people as they go. And I know who to meet during the week um, because of that connection, because I just sense who I need to go and see. Sage advice, sterling advice from this veteran pastor. And I just didn't know he was going to die two days later. And it was like, well, you know, if you get a Reader's Digest advice, what to do, there it really is. On the screen behind me, you'll see a picture of um, a tug of war. We're all familiar with what tug of war is. And generally, it's, we learn it at school, and we've got a rope, and we've got two teams, and it's like a, a jockeying of positions and pulling and a, of strength and power. And if you go to youth camps, they tend to up the, the reality of this, and they have this great big mud pit in the middle. And um, 
you know, there's this tension going on, pulling one way and the next, and if you're not on the right side, you end up getting pulled into this big um, mud pit, and you obviously, it's all, you know, it's all pretty uh, yucky in there. And as you get older in youth camp and things like that, and I was involved in something a number of years ago, it was actually an Elam um, camp I went to, so uh, what actually happened, they had this rope going across a river, and they had one team on one side and another team on the other side, and if you were on the losing team, what would actually end up happening, you'd get dragged into this river, you know, and, you know, and it wasn't a nice thing to be. Uh, that was just boys being boys on another level. But the thing is, as people, we're in this incredible tug of war for our soul. It's an eternal tug of war. And we've got the, the forces of righteousness on this side, pulling, 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 you know, pointing the way to the heaven. And on this side, so you guys can move to the other side of the auditorium, but um, on this side we've got all these evil people trying to pull all these demons, all these principalities and powers, trying to pull the other direction. And if we're not careful, you know, these entities will try and pull us into this pit in the middle of fire and of damnation, of evil. And it's not a game. It's an eternal consequences for people who have not aligned themselves with Jesus coming again. So as a church, as, as people, we have to be really diligent. We have to understand that Jesus is coming again and recognise he's coming soon. And we have to be ready. The reality is we are living in a war, a world that is full of uh, natural wars, but the supernatural warfare around us is far more intrinsic than any carnal or natural um, reality around us. Um, and I know over the last couple of years the, the things I've encountered in the spirit on the dynamic realm have increased to another level. There's a contention going on. You know, getting stuck in Denpasar last year in ICU for five, year, five days because a demon hit me. You know, that's all about a, a spiritual warfare going on. And we're caught up into this. And if we could take the veil off our eyes and see into the eternal, we can see the reality of the dynamic forces and the, the light and the darkness, all this contention that's going on. It's, 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 it's always out there. We know it. But it's like the enemy wants to dull our mind and blind our eyes to the reality of this. And if a church is understanding that Jesus is coming again, we can't afford to sit in our churches and just go about life. We have to up the, the understanding of the reality that we have to present this gospel to the people around us. Jesus is coming again. And if I was given advice to people um, 30 years ago, 40 years, 50 years ago, it would have been the fact that we've got to take this gospel to the world around us. We've got neighbours dying Literally, we've got people dying spiritually. Our friends, our colleagues, relatives are dying and going to a place called hell simply because we haven't, as a church, been diligent enough to say, Jesus is coming again. You have to have your life ready. And so I think, as one of the prophecies says today, we've got to be more urgent about what's actually happening. We've got to be more diligent about what's going on. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. This world as we know it is going to pass away. But we have to be diligent about what we do at this time before us. The, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, when are you coming again? And, and this was one of the things he said in Matthew 24, verse 14, he said, the gospel must be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So it's quite a legitimate question, Lord, well, when are you going to come back? And he said, well, I don't really know. Um, you know, the Father knows. Um, no one knows the, the day, the hour, the time. I don't really know. The Father does. But we know this, the gospel has to get preached to all nations of the world, to all ethnic people, ta ethne, pa ethne, uh, basically in Greek, basically all ethnic group, uh, groups, 
to the world. And the church has been on course doing that. But I've just sensed really over the last period of time, the church has become a little bit more casual about it. The whole Great Commission has become less of a, of a com compulsion. It's, it's, it's a byproduct, not a main focus of the church. More interesting about new air conditioning and, and, and bigger, better cars and bigger performance and programs in churches. And the Great Commission is becoming more and more a great omission again, sadly. But we've got to come back on True North. Jesus is coming again. Let's get the house in order. Let's focus on what is needed. Paul, wherever he went, preached Jesus was coming again. He went to uh, number of, obviously a number of places uh, starting churches. One of the places was a church called Thessalonica. It was in Greece. And he went there and he taught them quite clearly that Jesus was coming again. You know, he said in um, Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 to 11, he says, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Well, when's that going to be? Who knows, but it's going to come like a thief in the night. And so what happened, this church, they knew he was coming and so they went out and got a whole lot of white robes. And they were walking around town and did life in these white robes thinking Jesus is going to come back. And he was. And so Paul said, oh, come on. What I've got to do now is teach these guys that he's coming back. But you've got to actually be diligent about what you're doing now on, on life. You've got to actually do life, get the job of Christianity into the heart of the world. You know, not just sit around on, you know, just thinking Jesus is going to turn up. You know, he can't do that until the church is doing its job uh, effectively and the job is completed. And so this is why he wrote Thessalonians. And then and during one of the Proverbs, um, Jesus talked about ten wise virgins. We know the story. We won't go into it today. You know, five were focused and five weren't focused. But we need to have that focus in the church. We've got to have the oil in the lamp. We've got to be ready. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back. But when he does come back, let's be doing what he's asking us to do. So if there's that nudge in the Holy Spirit to go somewhere and do something, do what he asks you what to do and, and, and to do it, not put it off. Be diligent. We've got to be earnest about this gospel. Uh, we only get one crack at this. You know, we talk about life being, a, and the prophecies this morning, being like a vapour, you know, disappearing. It's, it's too quick, friends. We've got it one moment on this world, on this planet, to actually serve the Lord properly. And not casually. We've got to up our intensity and our focus and be more, uh, more robust about what we do. Thing is, this book tells us all about Jesus' return. It really does. Um, and if you want to know about what Jesus' return is, I suggest you read the last few pages. Because if you read any book, you go to the last pages and that's the climax of the whole of history. This is what Revelation 22 says in verse 7. He says, Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of this prophecy that are written in this book. That's Revelation 22, verse 7. Then it says, Revelation 22, just down a few more verses, it says this in verse 12. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Keep on going in the same chapter, down to verse 20. It says, He who is faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. You know, right at the end of the book, I'm coming soon. Jesus, friends, is coming soon. And I hope he comes sooner than later because I don't like waiting long. I'm not that patient. But the thing is, Jesus is coming again and we've got to be ready. This book tells us the, the whole story. It says, you know, straight away, it says, tells us about God's plan of salvation for an entire world. It tells us about a battle for your spirit and your soul. It tells about the supernatural warfare. It tells about a war between fallen angels, demons, and heaven and hell. It tells about a 
person called Satan who was a deceiver and a liar trying to get you to be suckered in. It tells about Satan's judgment and how his followers are going to be judged and thrown into a pit. It talks about how mankind somehow is caught up in this intense conflict. It tells about during this limited time on earth, man has a chance to get his life right with the Lord. And in this limited lifespan or this vapour we heard about this morning, if we don't get our life sorted out, the consequences are going to be pretty terrible. There's only one way to salvation, the Bible says, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ. It's by following the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells about Jesus' life. It tells about his birth. It tells about his ministry. It tells about his life. It tells about his death. And it tells about his resurrection. And it says he's coming again. And this is why we have to be focused about what this simple message of the gospel is all about. A number of years ago, it was in 1972 and 73, so that's like light years ago, but I was 12 or 13 at the time, and I realised that this world that we live in was hemorrhaging. It was crumbling, it was falling apart. Uh, I could sense more and more warfares. Um, I was aware that there were all sorts of famines and pestilence and all sorts of things going on. And it just alerted me to the fact that the world was coming to an end. And I wasn't even a Christian. And so I would go and turn the radio on at night and I would listen to some Christian broadcasts. This is pre-Radio Rima. And I would listen to this broadcast talking about end-time events taking place. And that provided all these answers to this questioning mind of mine. And it started to think, okay, I can't follow Buddhism, Hinduism, all that sort of stuff. It's all lies. It's all crop. But I can trust Jesus Christ because there was a sense of reality about this man called Jesus. And I knew he was going to come back. And so that was me. And today we've got people on a quest looking for truth. This is why we have people listening to uh, audio casts like these messages. You know, people dialing into all these uh, websites to listen to the gospel message. And even like these podcasts now, we're seeing lots of people respond to the Lord just through podcasts. Young people in their rooms at night looking for truth, turning the, the, the TV or the, the, their cameras on, their, their computers on, and they're seeing the gospel. People are on a quest. The disciples were on a quest. They obviously followed Jesus. And they said, Lord, when are you going to come again? And, and this is Matthew 24. It says, for nations will rise against nations. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be pestilence, there will be earthquakes, and this will be in many places. You know, people are freaking out about this coronavirus currently. You know, before that it was SARS. Before that was bird flu. The Bible talks about a third of the planet getting wasted just through pestilence and famine. You know, are we going to get worried about it? We know it's going to happen. We just got to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our, um, our, tune, our spirit in tune with the spirit to do what he asks us to do. Not freaking out. Just do what Jesus says. Do what he's asking us to do. And when you come back, he'll be happy with us. It's simple. You know, this Bible talks about what's going to happen in Israel. And I always, as a young person, thought, well, why isn't God not doing something about New Zealand? I didn't know the um, reality of Israel as a nation, as a, as, a, as a non-believer. You know, New Zealand was God's own. Why not bless New Zealand? Why are you talking about Israel? I couldn't understand it. But then as I started to read the Bible, the lights got turned on. Well, this is what it says in, um, in, um, in, in the Bible in Zechariah uh, 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, the Jews are going to return to their own land. So they have been uh, dispersed through the world because of disobedience. And miraculously, 
they were going to get restored back as a nation. Obviously, the one time they got restored was from Egypt, you know, with Moses, back to Israel. And there was a disobedience, so they got dispersed around the world. Judgment came. But amazingly, this nation gets called back as a nation. It talks about Israel being a, a place of barrenness, as a desert place. But God was going to come and bless this country, and they would know a, like an oasis environment around it. It talked about Jerusalem as a city, which was uh, no longer God's um, um, base place. It was going to be restored to the Israeli people. And as we look through history, we start to see um, a number of these things being fulfilled um, here. So 1948, Israel, after the Second World War, was restored as a nation. That's a part of the precursors of Jesus' return. And then the next thing we see, this barren place is lush, it's, it's flush, it's fertile, it's productive. You know, this has changed in our lifetime. And we also see this, you know, th there's a productivity in that nation coming, coming on. And the next slide that you'll see there about Israel, uh, Jerusalem being restored as a city. We saw that happen in the Yom Kippur War, um, Six-Day War. And nation of Israel exploded size-wise. These enemy forces trying to destroy this country, all of a sudden, in six days, the tables were turned. God showed up, an incredible deliverance, and Israel was really um, re-established as a nation. All these things are telltale marks of Jesus coming again. You know, the Bible talks about many things about Jesus, and we don't have time this morning. One of the illustrations is the fig tree illustrations. Jesus said, look, you know, Look at the fig tree, and, and as you start to see it blossom, you'll be aware that my, end, your, my coming again is going to be uh, right, on, uh, right at hand. Israel's conversion will come at that time. This will be the last generation before I return. And then it talks about it will be like the days of Noah. Um, you know, wine, drinking, drunkenness, immorality, violence, um, building projects, uh, population explosions. That talks about, uh, I think... You know, like our generation, we've seen an incredible population explosion around the world in the last 20, 25 years. Billions of people on this planet now. It talks about missing people. Somehow this thing called a rapture is going to take place and people are going to disappear and uh, um, only the, righte the righteousness will be taken and the wicked will be left behind. You know, theologians have always been trying to crack the code on this one. Um, I have a suspicion that we won't, as a church, be taken out before all these nasty things in Revelation takes place. I think the church needs to be doing what it needs to be called to do, and then Jesus will come back. You know, There's lots of persecution around the world now, and Russia and China and all that. They would think the end times and Jesus should have turned up uh, 10 years ago. I tell you what, there's a lot of stuff happening out there. The church just has to be diligent and uh, wake up to its ownership of what we need to do as a church. Well, if we have to understand that there's a battle between righteousness and principalities and power, and there's a plan that a bigger plan that God has, and there's going to be judgment for these fallen angels and everything, we've got to understand who the enemy is. Well, I think everyone knows who that Lucifer fell. He was called the Morning Star. He was created perfect. Uh, he had one of the most important roles in heaven to lead the worship of heaven, to turn the angelic hosts adoration onto Jesus Christ. He had authority over other angels. But what actually happened, sadly this lead angel turned the worship from God to himself, sadly. And that 
disqualified him. It brought um, unholiness into heaven. And so the Lord had to kick him out because God is so holy he can't tolerate unholiness around him. So he was cast out and all the rebellious angels got kicked out with him. And we picked this up in um, Isaiah 14. It says this in Isaiah 14, uh, 12 through to 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, the sun of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth. You've been destroyed. Uh, uh, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said, I will ascend to the heavens and set my throne above God's stars, and I'll preside over the mountain of God far away in the north. I will climb to the highest and be like the most high. What arrogance. You know? And so God couldn't handle this, uh, this, this rebellion in heaven. And then we look down and we see that uh, he deceived a third of the angels. You know, he must have been a fairly convincing dude to be able to sucker these people in, these angels who actually knew what was going on. But somehow this deception came on. He deceived Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. He was a con man. thing is, it doesn't end there. He's still trying to deceive you and me. He's trying to deceive people around this planet to actually believe that he is the way, not Jesus Christ. This is what he does. You know, he's, he's just constantly lying and distorting and pulling people in the wrong direction, taking people's focus off Jesus. That's the, the last thing he wants. Revelation 12 says this in verse uh, tw- 3. Verse, uh, Revelation 12, 3 says this. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. An event. I saw a large red angel with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on, the, on his heads. And, and his tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky, and they were thrown into the earth. So again, we just see a reinforcement that this fallen entity took a third of the angels with him. They were cast into the earth. And they, those fallen angels are what we call demons. Um, they were um, devils, evil ones, unclean spirits. And this is what we're contending with as a church today. Fortunately, I think there's a big void in heaven. A third of the angels got kicked out. There's a big gap in heaven. And I think the whole of humanity, as they align themselves with Jesus, starts to repopulate this void in heaven. I can't tell you that theologically, but I just have a suspicion that's the way it really is. We've got to know our enemy. You know, any person fighting a fight has got to know his tactics. Well, the enemy, Lucifer, he's called the Prince of Peace. His Elbabab. The father of lies, Moloch, or simply Satan. He's called the accuser, the adversary, the ancient serpent. Worthless, slanderer, destructive. He's intrinsically evil. He's a liar. He perverts truth. He's a prince of demons, the leader of fallen angels. He's a prince of the power of the year. He controls the unbelievers. He's the one who destroys He's the one who rules the world systems. He's our adversaries. He's a tempter and he's soliciting people into sin. Bottom line, he is the Antichrist. Anything that's not of God is Antichrist. And this fallen entity, our enemy, is trying to take our eyes off Jesus. He is the Antichrist. Well, this is just a little bit of a precursor this morning about what's happening towards Jesus' return. You know, we are aware that um, as we read Revelations, there's a thing called the mark of the beast. Have we heard what the mark of the beast is? Uh, Revelation 13, it says this, um, uh, about a thing being uh, tattooed onto our right hand or across our forehead. And anyone who receives that mark will be damned. They won't get eternal life or judgment. 
And you know, when I grew up, we had this uh, understanding about 666, and everyone was all fear and trembling about it, and all the barcoding and all that sort of stuff was starting to keep people's eyes alert to what was going around. Things have become more sophisticated now, so that the first slide you had there, so was about uh, more of an infrared system that people could actually pick up. Not a physical tattoo, but people could scan um, a hand, and uh, that would be like a trans transmission of... Uh, information, so normally about person's bank codes and all, all that sort of stuff. The thing is, things have got more sophisticated. We don't want to have like a tattoo chiselled onto our forehead, 666. No one wants that anyway, but it's got to be more, less subtle than that um, coming on. But we've got a thing now called RFID in, in the world today, radio frequency identification. And so because people don't want to have something physically on their head or anything, the world system is starting to gear up to another level of security. And so what, what this has started off is with animals, and they've put this uh, frequency thing in, uh, under, under these animal skins like a chip. And so they know that the animal's identity, they know if it's been licensed, who it's been owned to, uh, all that, all its address, all that sort of stuff is there. Has it been vaccinated? Um, and now they're saying, well, let's take it to another level. Um, let's put it into products. And so that as we ship products around the world, we can see where those products are going to. So we can track and tra trace these products, you know, whether it's a car, you know, even cell phones now. People can have a cell phone. Technology can have these phones turned on by an external source so people can know where you are. You know, and if you're using your computers and all that sort of stuff, they will track all your buying records. All that sort of stuff is just so easily uh, controlled these days. Uh, and so what they've done is they've taken this to a whole new level now and they're saying, well, maybe we can uh, track people, you know, by not cell phones, but we can actually keep it under their skin. And so they've got these chips designed already. And so uh, they said, well, people like Alzheimer's people, people with Alzheimer's, you know, they're going to go walk about. If they do, we can actually scan them and say where they belong to and take them back home or whatever. That's just the thin end of the wedge. They wanted to control everybody on this planet through this one world system. Um, over in Sweden now, um, they've got these little chips and people you know, uh, are lining up to have these chips inserted. That means they don't have to have credit cards or anything. So they can go to the bank and sh you know, they can go to the warehouse sh and they can get their transactions done. No need for cash or credit cards. Um, that's how scary it really has become. And these people are lining up like lemmings to take this, uh, this, this device. What they do is they just put it under the skin and it, just, and it sits there. And so, scary. Well, over in China, there's another level of this sort of thing that's going on. And so, what they're doing now is actually trying to rank their citizens. And so, um, if you're not taking their identification system they don't give you what the state provides. So there'll be less, you know, so they're not going to let you travel. So you're going to be restricted to one location. Your health care is going to be restricted. You're not going to be able to get what the state can provide. Uh, your education is going to be limited or non existent. Uh, they won't let you go to work because you won't have the system. Uh, it will limit your purchases. You won't be able to purchase if you don't have these systems already, um, um, you know, aligned according to the state. Your accommodation, all that sort of stuff is going to be compromised. Uh, no credit cards if you don't actually have the system as well. That's how scary this thing has actually moved on. And so the people who follow the state, they're going to get all the, you know, all the luxury. Everyone else is going to get left with the crumbs. It's scary. The thing is, the world can freak out about what's going on around it and get all upset. There's only one way that we 
are going to overcome this, and that's actually to be on the Lord's side. The reality is God never designed um, a place of judgment for people, this big pit for eternity, and it's not just in there and out there, it's like for eternity. Uh, we have to be diligent, and I think as a church, we're doing great things as a church, you know, but we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, We've got to think, keep, think the Great Commission all the time. We've got to be diligent. This is why we're doing church plants, not one church plant, two church plants. But if we can take this message that we have in our heart, the hope that we have to the people around us with a new sense of urgency, I think that's going to be part of these wise virgins being prepared for the Lord's return. You know, we can't afford to just come in here and sit down and we might realise that next week our neighbours died and we have to go to their funeral and we've never really up the ante and just being a little bit more intense about taking the gospel um, to people. My brother's not saved, sadly. We go fishing quite a bit and he sort of hassles me about going to church and I hassle him a little bit about him not coming to church. And you know, one day we're at the back of motor heat um, fishing and we were getting nothing. And it's like, oh, not, not doing any good here. Let's go over there. So he says, pull up the anchor. So he pulled up the anchor and went over there and fishing for ages, not a bite. And he said, this is no good. Let's go over there and did that. And fishing, 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 nothing happening. And he said, well, let's go over there then. And I said, what's that called? He said, oh, that's Church Bay. And I said, well, let's face it. This is the closest thing you're going to get to church for a while. Let's go over to Church Bay. So I'm trying to think of ways to be able to get under his skin to actually cause him to focus on church. But I think... There are a lot of people questioning life. They're questioning what's going on, this, this thing with coronavirus. Current, you know, people are freaking out. Things will always happen on this planet. Uh, we don't just you know, stay in this insular environment and go nowhere with our faith. This week I'm off to Borneo again, and people say, are you worried about planes and hotels and all that sort of stuff? Can't afford to be. i just got to get out and do what the Lord's called us to do. People are dying and going to hell. You know, what's God calling me to do? Well, to follow him. And he said a number of years ago, I want you to go to Borneo repeatedly to be able to help support the missionaries so they don't get burnt out and worn out. Beyond that, we want all these churches started. So we're planning, ten, in 10 years, we're planning to have a 1,000 church plants there. And so there's a sense of urgency about going there and all these other doors that get opened up at the same time. But the thing is, I don't know if we're all Christians here in this building this morning. There is a tug of war that's going on. If you're listening online or you're watching on the podcast this morning and you're questioning about eternity and your alignment with Jesus and you know it's not correct, you've got to start to make some really hardcore decisions. The thing is you can't stay where you are because you can't be in neutral ground. You've got to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is this incredible battle going on you know, for your soul and my soul. For our friends and our neighbours, you know, and the enemy would pull us into this, his, his side to say to the Lord, well, I was right, you were wrong, <sighs> you know, that's just crop, it's lying, he's just telling a, a whopper, it's more than a whopper actually, it's not even a big whopper, it's a, beyond that, the thing is, we have to make sure that people are on the Lord's side, you know, Jesus is coming again, and I say, bring it on Lord, and if somehow the church can up the ante and make the Lord's return a little bit quicker, I'm sure he'll be a lot happier and we'll be a lot happier as well. 